eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into another episode of the Otson Audible's podcast. Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on this episode. Matt Preem gets to be in Las Vegas because whenever he's not on this podcast, he's in a better place, it seems. Um but he will be back later this week. Uh, I think he's doing the interview with the opposing uh, USC writer. And we'll also be on, obviously, for our pick show later this week. But you know what day it is. It's Tuesday. It means we're going to be talking about what we saw at practice, what we've learned, a little pre-scout with USC. Um, typically one of the shorter shows, but uh, one of the more, I think, informative ones, hopefully, for those listening, just because we're going to kind of give an early look ahead. Um, Jared, it was... a uh, Kind of notable there was an absence here. Uh, we won't make it too much out of it because in the past mm-hmm. we have and it, nothing's materialized. But Bucky Irving, star running back, one of the best backs certainly in this conference and probably the country, didn't see him on Tuesday. How concerned should we be? I don't think we should be concerned at all. Um, this is similar to Brandon Dorless missing. I think it was Tuesday's practice on Washington Week and know everybody – Despite what some people have said, it is not because of a photo shoot. Um, Dan <laughs> has talked about this ad nauseum, honestly, this season about like you know, like their sports science staff. They will understand how a player's body is and say like, oh, they might need a rest day here or there. And it's not that they're completely resting. Um, it's probably more likely that they're working out or they're doing an individualized workout instead of going out of the football field and getting hit, which, you know, honestly, that's okay. If uh, Brandon Dorless or Bucky Irving or somebody else needs a little bit of a rest day in order for them to play against a very good opponent, I think I'm okay with that. But we will find out definitively tomorrow on Wednesday, November 8th. Yeah, November 8th, if uh, Bucky Irving will be there. Uh, my my guess is that he will be. And I wouldn't be too surprised. Same here. I want to keep, I wanted to start with this. Well, obviously, we always start injuries, but just to kind of shoot this down mm-hmm. before this becomes bigger than it needs to be. Um, another good example is last week, Stephen Jones wasn't at Tuesday's practice. He was at Wednesday. He played. Taki Taimani wasn't at either practice last week. He almost record, uh, scored a touchdown on Saturday. So right. 
I think we've uh, I'm learning here as we get through this season that let's not blow any of these absences too out of proportion. If Bucky's not there tomorrow, we can maybe start having a little bit more serious conversation. Um, obviously, if a guy misses a game and then isn't there on Tuesday or Wednesday, that's different. With Bucky, this is a situation where like took a couple big hits against Cal, but he kept playing, and I can't think of an instance where he left the field because of anything. So. Right. If he suffered something, it might have taken place after if he did. And I think my sense is I agree with Jared that I'm going to guess this is not an injury, that this isn't something that's going to force him to miss this week's game. Um, and that Oregon fans will probably be a little extra anxious going into tomorrow. But I think we maybe will have good news on our practice report on DuckTerritory.com um, Wednesday morning. So stay tuned for that. I had a couple other things written down here. Mm -hmm. uh, Mateo Uyunglele, full participant today. He was practiced last week, didn't play in the game on Saturday. That was a bit of a surprise. Dan kind of, again, minimized that one, said that they were being, I think, extra cautious with him, that he could have played if needed. So um, looks like, I guess it's the same thing he did last week. He was practicing and then he didn't play. So it's possible he doesn't play again. But my instinct is that he will be good. And then uh, Austin Novosad, practice sighting. Hadn't seen him since uh, leading yep. into the Washington State, no, the Utah week. Utah, um, yeah. He had a large left leg brace, but he was out there throwing the ball. He even, not that it was contact for him because he's a quarterback and you're not allowed to touch those guys at practice, but during the mod bracket drill, he was out there, I don't know, soft tossing it five to eight yards to the to the running back slash receiver. Right. So he's doing things at practice. So um, that was actually kind of a little bit encouraging to me. Not that I had thought like, oh no, Austin's season is over, but not seeing him for a couple of days was was sort of, interesting development um was am i missing anything else here from an injury slash um availability i just i just have one more uh kamari terrell was a full participant in practice today um we'd seen him honestly last couple of weeks uh either not at practice or in trainers and not not a full participant um but he was out there um so it was good to see him he was in cleats he was I, I mean, last week we saw him look like for the first time for a little bit and look like he was getting ready. And then this week he is ready. Um, I don't know if that'll translate to actually playing in a game or anything like that, but uh, just good to see him back on the field for sure. Um, he's a guy that Oregon uh, really utilizes on special teams. Um, so that's something. And then I think that was it for me. I didn't have anybody else. As you know, Sixth-ranked Ducks hosting USC on Saturday. Night game, first one at Autzen, really of the year. I know they played pretty late against, I think it was Hawaii. Um, was mm -hmm. it a 5.30 or something? This is, it feels yeah. like the first true Pac-12 after dark. It's going to be legitimately bad kickoff. It will be dark, and they will be dark. playing under bright lights. Um, kind of got a feel here. This is a little bit of a rivalry week. Just, I mean, obviously we know that going in because we're – around the team and we know what these games mean but i thought it was notable that dan took i don't want to say any shots but extra motivation about what maybe usc was doing today as opposed to what they were doing um during the mod bracket drill which we brought up which for those who are unfamiliar is a full contact drill um he said it's something to the effect of they're doing seven on seven in la they're doing walkthrough in la in eugene it's mod bracket so you know, again, I don't think it's a huge shot, but sort of acknowledging, hey, we approach our things a little differently. And what has been one of the big uh, talking points on those cinematic recaps the last couple of weeks is Oregon's toughness. Going into Utah, yep. they're talking about how that was being challenged this last game against Cal. And we've certainly heard that before. 
I think that's sort of the message this week is USC has athletes. They're going to be able to, you know, that seven on seven, I think is pretty clear. Like they have great offensive skill talent. We'll talk about this on this show, but who's tougher and through nine games for Oregon and now 10 for USC. I don't think there's any question what the answer is there. Um, I don't know, Jared, did you make much out of that? Or is that just coach getting his guys motivated for a, a drill to start a week? I think I took a little bit of both. Um, it's certainly the motivation part. Uh, this is why Oregon opened their practice again uh, for Utah week with many men. Uh, that's what by 50 cent great song. That's what Utah played in the locker room after beating USC on the road. Um, like it's just that like in like the intrinsic motivation and uh, that that Dan has kind of comes out onto the field when he's in his full game or practice mode. Um, I, I a little surprised he said it with us on the field just because, of course, we're gonna take that and and put it out there because it's it's funny. It's and it's you know more or less it's pretty damn accurate to sure. how USC has constructed itself for the last couple of years with its roster. Um, a lot of skill guys, a lot of really talented skill guys, wide receivers, defensive backs, quarterbacks, uh, running backs, more or less. Not a lot of great dudes in the trenches. And um, that's what Oregon, uh, honestly, ever since Mario Cristobal, that's what they've prided themselves on. They're just going to get some trench monsters, whether it be the offensive or defensive line. And yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing. If you go back and you watch any USC game this season, like they've had a lot of troubles just straight up tackling, uh, perimeter tackling with their linebacking, linebacking group, their edge rushers. Um, and that's what Mod Bracket is all about, getting into the perimeter and making tackles or getting off blocks as a skill guy or edge rusher, whatever the case may be. So for Dan to hear it or Dan to say it, uh, it's true. I mean, they are, not that they are doing seven on seven. I'm sure they do a lot more than seven on seven. But uh, that's kind of been the joke about USC the last couple of years. It's like this is a glorified seven on seven team with you know the best quarterback in the country and Caleb Williams controlling it with no offensive line. So uh, I just thought it was funny. I think it, I took some like, oh, that's surprising that he said that. But it's also like he's just trying to motivate his guys. And we've seen through the weeks Dan Lanning – will find whatever way it is to motivate his players. You know, we don't, they pay, they play for clicks. We play for, I don't even remember the quote anymore, but when they were going after Deion Sanders, um, we, I don't remember what it is. I can't is. remember the other half too. I apologize. I yeah. should be able to remember. Trying real hard uh, against Utah. The, you saw in the cinematic recap that they really talked about like, Oh, Utah is this tough, tough, tough team. And they've been the, the mainstays of the PAC 12. Well, we're here to show them up. Like, he finds whatever it is, and if it's uh, comparing USC to a seven-on-seven team, so be it. As long as it gets the troops fired up, I guess. I, I think you have to be impressed by the way, as a young coach, he's been able to find the way to push the right buttons from a motivational perspective, just over and over again. And to Jared's point, mm -hmm. like he he knows we're there. Like he's aware Tuesday and Wednesday, the first. 15 to 18 minutes. It feels like it's closer to 15 or maybe even less than that these days, but he knows we're going to be there. Those are the days we're here. He's intentional about making that comment, knowing that every single one of us who hears it is going to go to their respective website and write about it in their story, which every single one of us did. Um, yep. Let's get into a little bit of what Dan talked about yesterday, what some of the guys talked about today. I wanted to start with one of the kind of the, the lead-ins for, for Monday's mailbag, one of the things we talked about, which was, What's the impact of Alex Grinch being out with them changing their defensive play callers with with all of those things? And, you know, I don't think 
what either Bo or Dan said surprised us because it sort of reiterated our points, which was like, I don't think you expect to see USC come out and suddenly be running a completely new defense. I don't think you expect to see USC come out and be like, oh my gosh, like we haven't seen SC run that particular coverage package all year. Like they're going to come out, they'll mix it up. Bo did say this is going to be one, you know, I kind of asked him if he was excited by the opportunity of, of facing a defense or maybe they are going to throw some new wrinkles at you. And, and he said, yes, but I think Bo's just also excited by the opportunity. I'm saying this for him to face a defense that might allow him to throw for like 5,000 yards. Yeah. If, if, <laughs> if, if things if go given to plan. the opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. These are the two highest scoring offenses in the country, by the way. Um, the difference is that Oregon's scoring defense is 11th nationally and USC's is 124th. So these games out of what? 132, right? Uh, 133. University of Alabama, Birmingham is dead last at 38 points per game. Oh, USC. no. Trent Dilfer. My goodness. <laughs> Tough fr- first year for Trent. But uh, oh, USC, n- not far off at 34 and a half points per game allowed Oregon. Um, do all you have that up team. right now? I do. Who is the worst Power 5 team? That would be California. <laughs> at 36.8 and i'm guessing the 63 oregon just hung on them dropped them significantly yeah. um oh actually is usf now a power five team i can't remember with with conference realignment if they joined uh one of if, they, if they're in the big 12 or if that's future class. that's ucf that's ucf okay my bad yeah okay. i think so usf is still aac okay i think you're right i just was correcting myself they are behind now yeah um regardless uh I don't think there was anything that was said about that particular element or that particular dynamic, I should say, that that was surprising. I think, um, you know, Bo did say that, you know, he's going to have to get up there and they might show some things that they haven't seen and that he's going to have to be prepared from an in-game perspective. But but also there's so much confidence, I think, in terms of how they prepare and the situations that they prepare themselves for and the rules. I think he referenced the rules that they have with different looks that – even if USC comes out there and shows them some different things, I don't think Oregon's not going to have answers like almost immediately. Like it might take a player mm-hmm. to, there might be a driver too early where USC does a few things that go, oh, that, that throws Oregon off its game. But kind of like what I said on Monday, my expectation is Oregon will, will be fine in terms of answering this. And, and we can get into the preview now of USC from a, a personnel perspective, but I, I don't know if USC really has the guys this year. Um, I thought going into the season, I think Jared and I are both a lot higher on this USC defense than what we've seen. I thought maybe they did. They hit the portal pretty hard. I they did brought in sure, some good yeah. players. And here we are, and this is just as bad as it was last year. And frankly, kind of similar to what it was with Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch when they were at Oklahoma together for a couple of years. There, where it was, these guys are going to score a billion points, but the other team might score a billion and one just because of the way they play defensively. So um, yeah. we were talking on earlier today, like it's not going to surprise me if USC scores more point, more touchdowns in this game than the total number of touchdowns scored by opposing teams at Otson this year, which the number was six. So like, I wouldn't be surprised if USC scores 40 points in this game. I also won't be su- surprised if Oregon offensively scores more than it did, did just last week against Cal. Like that's the kind of game yep. I think we could be setting up for. Yeah, um, I'll start with I'll start with that. Like, I, I was I was saying on the walkover that if Oregon gets the chance to drop seventy or above, like they're going to do it. 
um, because this is going to be a huge recruiting weekend, which I think we'll get into. We can get into it in this pod if you want, or we can go into sure. it on uh, Thursday. Um, it's going to be a big recruiting weekend. Uh, this is the f- I think this is the first time Oregon has hosted USC since 2015. It's so been a long time. Yeah, it's been a minute. Um, this is somewhat of a budding rivalry, despite those these teams not playing. And I think it's more so on the recruiting front than anything else, as this this rivalry is really big into. Um, you know, Oregon's landed a couple of big recruits over USC recently. Um, USC's landed a couple of big recruits over Oregon recently. Like they're going back and forth with each other here, and it's definitely a, a rivalry off the field. On the field, uh, like you, Eric, I was really big on what USC brought into their defensive room in the offseason. Um, I thought Bear Alexander, who's having a good year, was a huge addition. Um, I thought Mason Cobb is a linebacker. I wanted him at Oregon. I thought he was a good player at Oklahoma State um, before transferring. Um, I like just, you know, a guy who can play east to west and I thought could make tackles. Um, they brought in uh, some more defensive linemen as well. Uh, Anthony Lucas uh, transferred from Texas A&M, an outside linebacker, an edge rusher, really. Um, he's been okay, um, but he, they're certainly not – they're just not up to par. And he, Surprisingly, the addition that's been the most impactful is Jamil Muhammad, who leads the team in tackles for last coming from Georgia State, which was somebody who wasn't totally yeah. on my radar coming in. No, but there he is. And they just – uh, you go back and watch any USC game and it's a plethora of missed tackles and a plethora of blown assignments. And, you know, I remember in week zero when they played San Jose state and San Jose state put up, I think it was 28, maybe it was 35. Uh, I can't remember the the official score, but it was like, well, this isn't a great start for, yeah, this wasn't a great start for USC's defense because San Jose State was converting on like third and longs and having these big 30, 40, 50 yard chunk plays. And it's like, huh, this is really reminiscent to what this team was last season. Here's the only difference between last year's USC team and this year's USC team. Last year, they were plus 21 in the turnover margin. This year, they're plus two or plus mm-hmm. three. Um, so, yeah, that's the difference. This, this defense, I don't know, is genuinely any better than it was last season but I know that they are not as good as turning the ball over or teams just are better at not turning the ball over and, you know, giving Caleb Williams less opportunities to go against any defense is always the better thing to do. Um, I, I just, I think Oregon's going to have no problem with whoever is running or calling the plays, which is going to be, you know, coach Odom and um, their defensive backs coach, not Dante not Dante, oh, but somebody else. I should have. Uh, I wrote about this last night. I should. I should have probably prepped that. Um, Odom actually called plays for Oklahoma against Oregon in the Alamo Bowl in 2021. I forgot about that, but then Dan mentioned it uh, during his press conference, so I thought that was fun. Mm-hmm. But it's um, it's not a great defense. Let's just put it like that. Um, I do think Bear Alexander is quite good, and I'm excited to kind of watch him. Just kind of go to work. Uh, it'll be a great matchup individually between him and Jackson Powers Johnson. But um, other than that, like Oregon, if they really just want to run the ball game, I think they could put up like 400 yards on the ground pretty easily. Yeah, and, and that's where, like, obviously we think Bucky's available. This could be, like, if he is, a massive Bucky Irving day. I'm not going to say he's going to go Kenyon Barner and run for whatever that was, like 330 yards like he did against USC back in 2013, I think, or 2012. 
Um, but uh, this is a USC defense, to your point. I just pulled up pro football focus uh, and, and their tackling grades. Like, this, Does this surprise you that Oregon is, according to PFF, the third best tackling team in the country? Like, it doesn't really to me because they've improved a lot, but three is really yeah. high. Country is impressive, but yeah. um, no, I mean, like, I can't, I can't go back to a game and be like, well, maybe Texas Tech a little bit, but you remember last year, it's like you think about Washington State and Washington, like those two games where Oregon, like perimeter tackling or even against Georgia. I know Georgia, Georgia was the one where you're like, <laughs> I know that team was damn good, but like you rewatch it and you're like, oh my God, they just, and then I remember the week after they played Georgia, like. They just did mod bracket every day. Like this year, it's just Tuesdays they do mod bracket, or at least what we see last year was like every single day they were doing mod bracket. So that is impressive. And the reason I bring that up is because USC is 101st in tackling, according to PFF. And again, out of 133 schools, that's not great. And it, and it stacks up with their statistical profile. Like I don't have to go through it all, but defensively, USC is basically 100 and worse every single thing. Like there's they're just not good on that side of the ball, but. Let's shift gears slightly. Actually, there's one more player on defense I wanted to highlight, which was um, Kalen Bullock, mm-hmm. who's their leading tackler. He's a safety. He was a first-team All-Pac-12 player last year. I think he was an All-American yeah. by a couple of outlets. He's a he's a very high-end safety. So individually, there are some – I just wanted to point out, like you mentioned Bear Alexander. I agree. Fantastic player. Going to be an NFL player, probably drafted in the second or third round, somewhere in that range maybe. I don't know. You're probably better than I am at projecting those sort of things. But I think he's a really good player. Bullock's a good player. Damani Jackson was a big time recruit who's become, I think, a pretty decent starting. He's been corner. solid this year, yeah. Like, like there are good individual pieces, but collectively, it's it's just a really, really underwhelming unit. Obviously, when you look up at these these stats and go like they're one of the two or three worst power five teams in in scoring defense, and I know they're going against great offenses. Like Washington scored a bunch of points on Oregon too, but mm-hmm. you run through. I, I'm sorry, I said I said I was almost done with this, but you run through. The number of points given up in conference play, 28 to Arizona State, 41 to Colorado, 41 to Arizona. Notre Dame's not a conference game, but they played it in October. 48 there. 34 to Utah, who, again, was is just beaten up. 49 to Cal, 52 to Washington. Like, there's not a single game in conference play. Oh, I missed Stanford. Stanford was 10, which was their their lone impressive showing. Um, but, like, there's yeah, not a game Stanford. in there that you're like – there's not a game in there you're like – Hang your hat on that. Was, is that week one or real. week two against Stanford? Yeah, week two. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's what. That no, is. there's. I had one more quick thing. I know we're doing a lot on USC's defense, but you had mentioned earlier, like when it comes to having their new, de- new defensive play callers, that they're going to have like different wrinkles, at least at the start of the game. It's it's kind of like what Stanford did. Like uh, Dan mm. came out after the game and was like, right. Look, they they were running a different defense than what we expected, um, and we made an adjustment and switched and did just fine after that. And you know they did; they had scored forty two points, um, so that's pretty good. But I, I could see that happening where it's like not the whole first quarter like it was against Stanford, but you know first second drive, it's not they're not moving the ball fluid. Maybe it's a couple of third down and longs that they have to face or something like that before the offense really starts to kick into the gears because, you know, like Dan in the, his press conference is like, it comes, you know, it comes down to basic football, like tackling, breaking tackles, making the right reads, things like that. And uh, what we were saying on the podcast yesterday or Sunday, you know, yesterday, excuse me, was like, it's week 11, week 10, week 11, excuse me. Like, 
they're not going to bring in something completely new at this stage of the season. It's what they've been running primarily for the most part. But it could have a couple little different wrinkles, which is what both Dan and, and Bo said. Yeah, and, and we've seen all year there are these games where Oregon starts quote unquote slow and still scores 42 or this last weekend, not a perfect start by any means. And they still score 63. So um, probably enough USC defense talk, because if you are trying to hype up this game and build it up as one, that's going to be exciting and competitive. Let's talk about the other side of the ball where USC just has all the guys like USC has a defense problem. That's why they've lost three games this year. Really only one poor offensive outing, and it was that Notre Dame game where they were held to 20. Other than that, they've scored um, more than 40 points uh, in eight of 10 games. They've scored more than 50 in four games, um, most recently against Cal a couple weeks ago. Scored 42 against Washington last weekend in what was a really exciting and fun football game to watch. Like I think if you're just a casual viewer or somebody on the east coast who tuned on tuned on their tv and was like hey let's watch a little pac 12 and you saw that game you're like that was a really entertaining game Fun, you, also, yeah. you came away also going like usc has a ton of guys and washington has a ton of guys it just has just so happens that usc was a little bit worse defensively than washington but like this is such an incredible collection of skill talent and I kind of wanted to lead it off talking about this because every week, for those who are unfamiliar, I do my Know the Foe story where I I do actually three of them. I do one kind of highlighting five individual players. I do one looking at recruiting rankings. And then um, on Wednesday, I'll do one where I have uh, opposing writers come on and answer some questions about the team. Um, Putting together just the top recruit story, it's really striking looking at how Lincoln Riley has built this roster because seven of the 10 guys are offensive players and again like most of these are five stars or very very close to five stars and like five of them are receivers and again you really can play maybe four on the field at once usc will do that a lot but like primarily you're playing three sometimes two receivers at once and so to have like four five stars not that not that you're going to turn down five stars and i'm not being critical of lincoln riley in that regard because if you have the opportunity to sign like makai lemon or Zachariah Branch this last cycle, who were two really big time wide receiver prospects, of course, you're going to do it. It's just it's sort of striking looking through where the talent resides on this team. And you go, it's basically at two positions. It's at quarterback with Caleb Williams, and they have Malachi Nelson. And it's at receiver where they just have a ton of guys. And, and I mentioned you can go through the names, you can look at the story over at Duck Territory just to see the rankings. But like that doesn't even include their top guys, which is Taj Washington, who wasn't a massive recruit. He went to Memphis and then Brendan Rice, who was at Colorado to start. Like those are their two most productive guys now. But there's just a bunch of guys like they have incredible, incredible receiver talent here. But again, mm-hmm. that only goes so far. And I think that this is a season where you look at it and go, gosh, wouldn't it be great if instead of having four or five star receivers, we had one of those guys was like a really great edge rusher i guess they do have Corey foreman it's tackle. Just out, or defensive yeah. Ta- yeah, offensive tackle or de- i mean it, it's just it's striking when you're doing this and again this is kind of early stuff looking at this team but then i know they have talent then other parts of their team but they have so many elite receivers and yet you go it's not surprising that they're getting pushed around in the trenches when you build to dan's point kind of a seven on seven team with a bunch of receivers and great quarterbacks yeah, and this was like to, to my point earlier. It's like this is kind of how USC has been the last couple of years. They have great talents at quarterback and they have great talents at wide receiver. Like 
you know, when Oregon last played them in 2019, uh, I guess for the instead of the Pac-12 championship game, but the last regular season game down in 2019 in the Coliseum, you know, Oregon dominated a line of scrimmage and really pushed USC around. And that was a great USC team on on offense. Even though I think oh, yeah. it was Keaton Slovis was the was like a true mm-hmm. freshman making his way in. But that you know they had great receivers on that squad. Like Michael Pittman was out there. Um even Amon Ra. I'm trying to think of Amon Ra St. Brown. That's the other one. Um like uh, it was a, it, there was they had a young um Drake London. He was a freshman on that team. Like they were oh, loaded. I forgot that he was a freshman on that team. Yeah, they were loaded. Oh, yeah, they were loaded, and they could move the ball, and they could do all these things. But what Oregon ultimately ended up doing on defense was at least they were getting to the quarterback. They were making Keaton Slovis's life miserable for a while. And it's going to be a lot harder to do that against Caleb Williams. Well, not to get to the quarterback, but to bring Caleb Williams down. Because not a lot of teams have had great success at that. They've been, they've been able to do it and hurry him and get him down to the ground, but – um, Dan talked about it in his press conference that he's a hard quarterback to bring down. He's a you know, really strong base. He's got strong legs. He extends plays. He makes guys miss. Kind of think of what Cam Ward can do. Um, but it can also you know, throw the ball 60, 70 yards down the field and forces your cornerbacks to go and cover for 8 to 10 seconds, which is going to be difficult. But um, going back to the talent perspective standpoint on USC, they're all wide receivers or quarterbacks. And it, I sound like a message board for them right now. Because we, this we, we really do. Like, yeah, this has been the uh, the Oregon fan defense of why Oregon is better than USC for the last couple of seasons is that um, the defensive and offensive lines, Oregon has a clear advantage of both of them. And yeah, the skill positions, um, you know, Oregon, obviously the top end talent with Troy Franklin right now is great, but the depth that, USC has built is significantly better. And if any Oregon fan were to tell you, like, I'd rather have Oregon's wide receiver room than USC's, they'd be lying to you because that's a great wide receiver room. And they've got a great quarterback. But it doesn't mean anything if you can't keep your quarterback upright. And I uh, I voiced this to a couple people, but uh, I think Tosh Lupoy and Dan Lanning are going to have a field day against USC. Um, Cal did a lot of really good things in their game against USC. Um, that, that defense is not good. We saw it against Oregon last last week. Does not stop a nosebleed a lot of the times. But what they, what they did very well against USC was they used linebacker blitzes perfectly. Mm-hmm. And they brought guys in through the A or the B gaps, uh, sometimes a, a, around the edge, even like on a stunt with a defensive lineman. Um, Oregon has really good pass rushing linebackers led by Jeffrey Bassa. And they got Tysheem Johnson and Kyrie Jackson and Jaleel Florence to rush off the ends uh, at corner or at strong safety or even Evan Williams at, at that uh, box safety. Um, I think that the the blitz packages that Dan and Tosh are going to dial up this week are going to be a lot of fun. And I think that's going to be the difference between, you know, have, hoping a line, a defensive lineman can get Caleb Williams down to the ground and try to, you know, wrap him up when he's trying to be elusive compared to Tysheem Johnson coming in there and like a heat-seeking missile and having the agility as well as the strength to bring him down. So um, I think it's going to be a fun matchup to see what Dan and Tosh do because they're probably going to play a lot of man defense like they have all season long because they have faith in their guys. Um, I'm just interested to see the blitz packages and uh, if Caleb Williams can get out of them because if they get to him a lot, kind of like Colorado earlier in the year, you know that offense – Despite all the talent it has on the outside, they're not going to get the ball because 
Caleb Williams is going to have enough time to throw. Probably hit this last point here and then we can sign off. Um, do you think Oregon is capable of doing sort of what Notre Dame did? And I only bring this up because we ran through all those numbers offensively and, and they're gaudy. Mm-hmm. I mean, that USC is second in the country in scoring offense for a reason. They've really only had yeah, one, one really game. Good. Um, and you look at what Notre Dame did, held them to 20 points. Caleb Williams had three turnovers, three interceptions, um, 199 yards passing, which I believe is the lowest he's had since, since coming to USC. Like defensively, Oregon profiles pretty similar to Notre Dame. Actually, I think they're a little better yep. in a lot, in a lot of these things. Like, do you see it being a possibility where they, they really limit USC or are we in, in store for a track meet? Cause I kind of go back and forth of like, I expect Oregon to have a ton of success. We've already spent way too much time outlining how bad we think USC's defense is, but do we think Oregon's defense can can slow down USC enough where Oregon pulls away, or is this going to be one where you think even in the fourth quarter it's like USC scoring points with the intent of trying to trying to catch up? I, I mean, it's going to be a t- it's a tough challenge because I watched that Notre Dame game against USC, and Caleb Williams honestly made a lot of boneheaded decisions, and yeah. at least two of those interceptions were really boneheaded plays. But he is kind of susceptible to do that, especially with pressure in his face. And I'm not saying like Caleb Williams is the only quarterback who would make a boneheaded decision with pressure in his face, because a lot of quarterbacks do. Don't get me wrong. But uh, what what Notre Dame was able to do is they were able to shut down the run game. And USC's run game, uh, Marshawn Lloyd did not play last week. It's I don't know if it's clear if he's going to play this week against Oregon. I haven't looked that one up. I probably should. I'll, I'll take a look. Notre Dame did a good job of of holding Marshawn Lloyd. And Marshawn Lloyd is a very good running back for USC. And he's a guy who's capable of breaking free at any moment. Um, I think he's incredibly underrated in the Pac-12. He might be like a top three or top four running back in the conference, in my opinion. If Oregon's defensive line, which has been very good against the run this year, if they can hold him and force Caleb Williams to throw, I know that may sound like that's not putting a team like playing with their left hand, as Dan would call it. But I think what USC has done so well this season is establish their run game and allow Caleb Williams to have more opportunities and play action passes to get set up the deep shots to have the linebackers come in before going over their heads. Um, if Oregon's defense can sit there and play dime, and uh, know that it's going to be a third down and long. I feel decent about it. Um, I think that they'll be able to stop Caleb Williams because I think Oregon's secondary impresses me every week at this point. And I know there's a lot of um, a lot of talent on that USC team as we went through in the wide receiver and even the tight end room with Deuce Robinson, but um, I think Oregon's defense is going to get pressure with their front four, and it's going to be just a long day for Caleb Williams back there behind the center. I couldn't find anything definitive on Lloyd. I, I, I know Lincoln, mm-hmm. I thought, spoke yesterday, but I couldn't. Quick Google search. I'm sure if we spent a little more time, we'd find something. We should note Austin Jones, uh, former Stanford running back, uh, transferred over there. He ran for, I think, 117 yards, something like that. Over, I know it was over 100 last week against Washington. So um, they still have some guys out there. And certainly this is an offense with USC that there's no way Oregon holds USC to, like, one or two offensive touchdowns is, is, is just my expectation going in. I know Oregon fans want it to be that way. I know Notre Dame was able to achieve something similar to that. I think Oregon's defense could play its very best game and still give up points just because USC has athletes on the outside, much like we're talking about with that 2019 team where you go, look at the NFL. There are 
three number one receivers basically in the NFL that were on that USC roster. I'm not sure it's quite that good right now at USC, but like they've got some guys that are going to be major NFL players and Caleb Williams is really fucking good. There's a hard F for everybody, maybe to surprise them at the end of the show. Caleb wow. Williams. Pulling very, a Tysheem Johnson here. Yeah. Tysheem also a fan of the F word apparently. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's going to be fun. I mean, I, I think this is going to be a really interesting one. Uh, uh, certainly check back in with us um, tomorrow, Wednesday, for an update on Bucky to see if he plays um, or if we have an update on what his status is, I should say. Um, we will have uh, – Matt will be interviewing somebody on the USC site to preview this this game more, and then the three of us will reconvene on Thursday for our full preview prediction podcast. But until then, you've been listening to the Otson Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or – I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend, or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.